This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Simone Canego, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here today. Thank you. Did I say your last name right? Yes, you did. I know it's like a really hard thing, but you did it. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Um, can you say my last name? Pop quiz. Uh, Strzewski. Strzewski. Um, uh, you give it a try. It's Strzewski, okay. but I didn't oh tell gosh. you I was going to do that. So it kind of yeah. like threw it at you, but it's okay. It was extra credit. You didn't get it. So you didn't fail the class. Anyways, glad you're here. Before we get started, who in the world are you and what do you do? So again, I'm Simone Canego. I'm the only one with that name in the world. I am a mother of six, and I just wrote a book called The Extraordinary Unordinary You. And I will tell you, you sent me a copy of that book. Thank you very much for doing that. I love the stories in there. I mean, you have six people. Now, we're going to talk about this later during the show about the you know the mother of six, and it's not her six natural kids. Um, it's the story's incredible. I highly recommend you get the book listener. It is incredible. It'll inspire you. It'll make you cry. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you feel good. So, uh, mother of six now as a productivity expert, I can't imagine cause you're married. So there's eight people in your house and I, I have to know before we get started, how do you, how do you approach productivity in your home? Now you may work from home, but how do you approach productivity with all those other human beings walk around the planet or around your house? So I would say that I was very organized, but that would not be true. Um, I would say that I just get it done. I mean, I know what I, I, I make a list, I lose the list, I make it again. Um, and then I get it done. And usually by the second time I make it, I look at the list and say, wow, half of those things are already done. Um, you know, I just, I just go. And even when there's chaos, you're still doing stuff in the middle of the chaos. You just get used to, you know, how that flow works. And we get a lot done around here. <laughs> I, I bet. Now I have, my wife and I have a friend at church and they have, I think they have 15 kids. The oldest well, is graduating college and they have a, a newborn. And what they did in their house, the older kids have to help the younger kids. So mom and dad don't do everything. It, I'm sure your kids help each other out. Is that, is that true? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it's, you know, we're, we're zone defense now. There's not like, there's no one-on-one. -on -one, so the older kids absolutely have to help with everything. And so, and the younger kids help with everything too, but in terms of like, you know, helping with schoolwork and stuff, because the older kids know it way better than I do because <laughs> I don't remember it anymore. Um, so yeah, definitely. It's, it's, again, it, it takes a village. We have our own little village within the house, so they all have to participate. It's just kind of how we do things. You know, you make a very good point because I think I fell out of love with math when I was in sixth grade <laughs> and I was starting to take algebra and two X equals two solve for X. That's after that, you lost me when trigonometry, geometry, the circumference of the square, I'm like, or the, the cylinder, I'm like, who cares? I'm not an engineer. So I, I guess I went into the right field because if I went into engineering, I would have bombed big time because to your point, I, I'm just like, I don't get it. I, it looks like Greek to me. Yeah, I um, you know, it's funny because I used to know this stuff, you know. I actually by education I'm a CPA. Like th the math stuff should still be there. Some of it is, but most of the time I'm like, "Oh, 7th grade math. Hmm. Let's ask your older brother." You know. <laughs> now, what are the age of your children? Ooh, okay. So they're um 24, 20, going to be 21 in next month. Um 18, 16, 14 and 13. 
Wow. Now, I want to jump into the extraordinary, unordinary you. I love that title, by the way. It is an incredible, well-thought-out title. Um, so tell us about the premise of the book. Tell us about your children, because you like adopting children who are in need. And one of the things I love about the book is you say you wish you could adopt all the uh, the children who need to be adopting, but that would be impossible. So tell us a little bit about the, the book and your motivation for writing it. So I'll start with the title, if that's okay. Um, you know, I'm a big believer that for a long time, I think I struggled realizing that the things I did, you know, mattered. I went into the things of like, I'm just a stay-at-home mom, or I'm just a wife, or I'm just a homemaker. And, you know, so I think I got that that mindset all wrong. I don't have it wrong anymore. Um, but so it took me a while to realize that the things that I did were extraordinary and that we all do extraordinary things. And there's not one of us that are ordinary. I call myself an ordinary girl, but the things that we do every day, the way we interact with other people truly make us unordinary. And mm -hmm. so that was kind of the play on play on words for the title. The book itself, I really wanted to share the message about our family, our life, the good, the bad, the funny, the sad. Um, I think it's really important to to be real, to put, you know, our struggles out there as well. And I was really thinking, how do I tie everything together? And for me, tying it together was my message of the things you do every day matter. You you are more than enough. You know, you inspire people with the things that you do. And so that's really kind of the running theme through the book is that, you know, I think sometimes we get down on ourselves and and think that like these little things don't make a difference and they truly make a difference. You know, one of the things, uh, one of the signs of a well-written book is when the reader highlights in it. And I could tell you the book you sent me is all marked up. So I hope we don't want it back. It's all marked up no. and <laughs> lines are, uh, you know, highlighted and words are circled. I, I really enjoy, I'm not just saying that to because you're on the show. I mean, I really enjoyed your book. So walk us through again, your children, how many are yours naturally and how many do you adopt? So we have six children. Um, our oldest three are biologic and we adopted our youngest three. Um, our son that's 16, he came home at four and a half. He's from Ethiopia. Our son that's 14, he came home at four months old and he's from South Korea. And then our daughter who is 13 came home at two and a half years old and she is from Ethiopia as well. Um, so we have a, you know, a very fun multicultural family and you know, it's our world, right? Like this is what our world is. So this is our family. What really impressed me about your story is how not only did your biological children accept the the adopted children, but they were excited about it. And when they you already had some adopted children, they were excited about getting more people in the home. And I thought that was really touching because, you know, I'm an only child, so I don't know what it's like to have siblings, okay? But I was so moved by the fact that your family was fully on board with this because you did share in the book that your husband and I talked about it, or husband and you talked about it, and then you talked about it with your children, and you wanted to make sure everybody was on board. Were you surprised that your children were on board that you wanted to adopt? No. I, I'm going to be honest. Like I, I, I hope that I did, um, you know, a good enough job with them that they like our values are, you know, that we're 
we're very open, we're very loving, and that there's no boundaries. And so, you know, um, I was, I would say I was surprised. The only thing I was surprised about was um, we actually did a, a vote, a blind vote for everybody has to be on board each time because again, it takes a village to raise a child. And so our last one, when we voted, um, my daughter, Olivia, she instantly wrote her answer down and passed her piece of paper to me. And I was like, you didn't even hesitate. And her response was, well, mom, we're talking about the life of another child. How could anyone vote no? And so, you know, like they're, and, and if you ask them today, they would say, you know, mom, you know, we're not all living at home now. Um, it's the perfect time to adopt again. Um, (laughs) you know, uh, I'm, I'm still going to say the minivan is full. I mean, six kids is six kids is is a lot, and um, but there are so amazing, so many amazing kids in the world just waiting for a family to love them. And you know, we knew we could be that that family. Um, and it's you know, t- and to be honest, like it's a very, it's a very hard thing, you know, f- for children, right? Like these kids, our kids started at a place of loss. They, you know, they lost everything they had before they came into our our family and i think it's a really important thing to recognize that that you know i think a lot of times people think oh it's so amazing you you know your kids are so lucky and i'm like no we're actually the lucky ones these kids have gone through so much to get to this point um we're the lucky ones so i try to really get that message out too um because I do think like it, I mean, when I think back to my, my kids' stories and, and their losses, I think it's, um, it's really important to recognize that there's a lot going on around all of it. Um, but we are so fortunate. It's just been such an amazing, amazing experience for us. Yeah. And when you, if you were born in the United States or Canada or Europe, you sometimes forget that there's a lot of nations that don't have the internet, that don't have running water, that don't have health care or houses. They still live in huts. And we, we live in very sheltered lives. We have blinders on and we're like, oh man, everyone's living like this. But the truth is, it's not. There's a lot of people suffering. There's like 7.8 billion people on this planet and we all live different lives, but a lot of people aren't as well as you are. So as we are, cause a lot of people say, well, I'm only making $50,000 a year. There are people who live in other parts of the world who won't make $50,000 or whatever their currency is in their entire lifetime. If they live to a hundred, but we don't see that. And because we don't see it, we don't realize it. We go poor as me. Woe is me. My internet went out today and we don't realize that's a first world problem. Yeah, I um one of the things we experienced the first time we were in Ethiopia is they do um you know where where we were we were in the capital city um Addis Ababa and um they do rolling power outages. Now again, if you're in the rural villages, there's no power at all. But um where we were, they had rolling power outages. So there was a, a couple hours a day where you had power and the rest of the day you didn't. And it was interesting interesting to see, you know, my older kids, they were young at the time, but to see them like, wait, how does this work? You know, they, you know, they're used to the life that they live. Um, and so I think it's, you know, again, I think we all, you know, need to understand more about the world to really appreciate what's out there and to see the differences and accept the differences and, and see how we can do better. Um, and so it was, 
again, those experiences for us were truly life-changing. And for my children, I mean, for all of my children, it's been life-changing. The the way they see the world is different. Hey there, it's Mark, and I will coach you for less than $2 a day, plus give you access to a group coaching call every single month. For more information, visit MrProductivity.com. Several years ago, back in 2010, actually, my wife and I went to France. I had won a trip uh, to go to Normandy, France, and stay at the the Forbes Chateau de Belois. And what was interesting is a really teeny tiny village that's south of Omaha Beach. And I remember my wife and I were out walking one day, and we walked by people's houses during the summer, so all the you know the the windows and the doors were open. And I said to my wife, I said, "Why don't they have the lights on?" And they go, "Electricity is so expensive, like over in France." that you just don't leave lights on. You just don't do that. But here I am. I'm like, oh my gosh, I leave lights on in my house all the time. Again, a first world problem. Not that France is a third world nation, but I just take for granted that I always have electricity or always have the internet or running water. And you know, even going to a small village in a first world country, you can really see that you know, high-speed internet, what's that? You know, they sometimes are still using dial-up. So, you know, I... I I don't like to use the word privilege because that's tossed around so much in our world today. But, you know, I can't help I was born in America. I can't help I was born white, but I can do something about it and help other people, which I do. Yeah. I, and I think that's something really important to to remember. You, you can't, you, I can't feel guilty for where I am, right? Like, but I can do as much as I can help, you know, where I'm not. So I think that is always an important thing. Uh, to remember. And and that's kind of how we try to live our lives with our family, like, and, and what we do in the world. And really my messaging about like, you know, just kindness and, and realizing that there's more out there and that to open our minds to, to see what else is out there so that we can appreciate the world more. Yeah. And kindness is so easy. It doesn't cost any money. You don't have to buy someone a car or a house. Just be pleasant to them. If you see someone down, you know, sometimes you just have to sit there and listen to them, whether it's on Zoom or FaceTime, whatever the case may be, just be there for them. So kindness, I think is so easy, but I think people go, eh, I don't want to be kind. Listen, kindness rules. I, I love kindness. I want to ask you a question because I think you're a good person to ask this question. I, I ask this occasionally to people on my show. Who do you think would have it more difficult? Someone who was born and raised in the United States, and I believe if you're born and raised here, you're somewhat affluent compared to the rest of the world. Going to like someplace like Ethiopia and living there for five, ten years, or would you think that person from Ethiopia, now I know you adopted them with their, with their babies, but let's say you got a, an 18-year-old to come over to the United States for five, 10 years. Which person do you think would struggle the most and why? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I see struggles on both sides, but you know, even I would say that um I would say someone born in the US going to you know, a developing country would probably struggle more because we're used to all these creature comforts yeah. and it's a completely, it, it's such a, a change. Can you, can you adapt hundred percent? You can. Um, but I think that it would be a little bit more difficult, but for, you know, but looking at it the other direction. Um, so our son Ari, he was four and a half years old when he came home and even at four and a half getting used to, um, you know, what, electricity and, you know, the different, different, different foods. Yeah. I mean, all of these things that he didn't have, um, 
it took a bit of an adjustment. Um, and so if we're talking 18 or older, sure, can you adjust to it? Absolutely. I do think it's more difficult, though, for us to have you know, a life like we do here with everything, you know, easy access to everything, you know, you, you go to the grocery store, you drive to the grocery store, you know, you, um, and then if you go to a rural village in a developing country, um, you're now farming and you're now collecting your water. Um, I think it's, I think it's a big adjustment. Yeah, I I don't know how I would do if I was dropped into the village, let's say, I already came from. I, that, you know, I'm used to my internet and my, my electronics. So that's obviously I bring them with me, but then the batteries would die and they'd be useless. Um, so it's something to think about. And listener, I want you to think about that. If you were dropped into some rural, rural, rural tribe in Ethiopia, um, how do you think you'd handle it? And then, I, I don't, you know, just think about it. Just maybe a, a topic for a family conversation or with your friends. Just think about it um, because we take a lot for granted over here. Wherever you're listening in the world, most people who are listening to this podcast, obviously, Simone, you know, they have Internet because you can't listen to a podcast without the Internet. So you, you probably have a lot more benefits than people who live in uh, really undeveloping countries. I, I want to circle back to the title of your book, The Extraordinary Unordinary You, because I, I have this vision that someone, at least one person is listening to our conversation today and they're going, you know, Simone, I hear you say it, the extraordinary, unordinary me, but you know, I'm not feeling it. You know, I, I, I go to work, I've got, you know, wife or husband or kid to whatever, a job I don't like, you know, I don't feel extraordinary and unordinary. So what would you talk to that and say to that person? So for me, it was really about changing um, my mindset um, and that looking at, you know, the things that I do every day, I, you know, I said this at the beginning of really changing, you know, how we, how we describe ourselves, how we look at ourselves in the mirror. Um, You know, I can't do this because, well, no, you can do it. You just have to want to do it. And I think so many things we do in our life. Yes. I mean, people have to, people do their jobs and, you know, they don't necessarily love what they do. I think you can love what you do. I think you can also, um, you know, do things around your job if you don't love your job that will, you know, really bring you true happiness. Um, but you have to find it within yourself first. You know, if you're not happy with yourself, it's hard to be, you know, happy for everything else that's happening in the world. So I really, for me, it's really about looking at yourself and saying, I can do this. Um, and I am instead of I'm just, or I'm not. And I think it's really, it's really important. It was really helpful for me to, um, you know, I think especially a, a lot of, um, and I'm going to be very general here. A lot of moms struggle feeling, you know, value in in the things that we do. Some feel complete value. So I'm not, you know, saying that based on everyone. But you know, I'm thinking, okay, I did 16 loads of laundry today. Uh, you know, I packed the lunches. I did the, you know, I've I've done the dishes. I've cooked dinner. I've driven the kids to school. And at the end of the day, do I feel like I've accomplished something? And I have to look and say. I accomplished a lot like that, you know, changing my view of what I did for the day. Because for me, the most important thing I can do is bring amazing humans into this world. And th- and that's what I look at. I really look at, you know, how my kids, you know, reflect what I've done with them um, so that they, how they see the world and how they interact with other people and how they show kindness. Um, 
And I get it. There's some days that are tough. There are days where I still, you know, get up and say, okay, I just want to go back to bed. Like this is, you know, I'm in a tough moment. Um, but I think we have to really, you know, appreciate and and see what we're capable of because we're all capable of the things that we want to do. We just have to, we just have to make the choice to do them. You know, I think moms are awesome because it doesn't matter what you believe, you know, when a baby's formed at conception or birth, whatever, without a mom, there is no baby. There's no human race. Okay. So I think moms are incredibly awesome. Moms can do things that let's face it. Guys were like, no, I remember when uh, my first wife and I had our first baby. I'm like, Ooh, I'm not changing that. You know, moms just go in there and they clean it up. You know, moms, are strong people. And, uh, I, I think moms, you know, everyone has a mom. Now your mom may not be around, but if your mom's still around and you haven't talked to her like in a day, a week, a month, pick up the phone, like we have to finish or no pause this podcast right now. Go call your mom because your mom is awesome. My mom is awesome. I lost my mom mentally. Uh, she's got late onset Alzheimer's. So she's a three-year-old trapped in a 74 year old body. Uh, I hadn't seen my mom in three years. Okay. But she's still there physically, but mentally she's gone. Moms are awesome. I mean, they bring you life. And so I just want to give the shout out to all the moms out there, whether you're a mom of one or six like you, or my friend's got 18 kids. Um, moms are awesome. They have the most love, the most patience, and they're the strongest. So I just want to give a shout out to them. And and I I I'm gonna agree with you. Um but I <laughs> but I, I think <laughs> Um, but I do think we're hard on ourselves and I think that we get down on ourselves and we, um, I think really realizing, um, you know, I, I had a, a friend who, sh- she said that when things were really tough with her kids, um, when they were little, she would say that she was tending the flowers in her garden and that would give her a better outlook on, okay, oh, do I have to do this again? Yeah, you do. But this is what you're doing. You're tending the flowers so that they grow into these big, beautiful flowers for every, you know, to share with the world. Um, and I think that's a really, for me, that was such a great way of of looking at it um, because there are days that are hard and there are days that are hard for everybody, whether you're a man, a woman, it doesn't matter. You know, like it's, it's, uh, you know, we all struggle. And that's an important thing too, that, you know, I think we're so, we're so trained to not share the things that we struggle with that, you know, obviously we live in the, the world of social media and, you know, we, we live where we're, we tend to compare ourselves to others because of what we see in front of us. And to me, that isn't the way to do it. I really think that um, I got over that a while ago that, you know, looking at what someone else is doing and, and being jealous of it, it's just not the way to um, to live our lives. It's really looking at what we're doing and what else can we be doing. Um, and, and if we're struggling with something, it's okay to share it. You know, like there's lots of things I struggle with. I like to make fun of myself because, you know, if I'm having a moment, like, yeah, it's okay to have a moment and then move on. Um, but I think that we get trapped in the, you can only share the, the, the really great moments and that leads to very much less sharing. <laughs> and I think that we need that, that communication, that contact to really feel like we're not alone. 
One of the benefits of being a subscriber to my email newsletter is you get access to free weekly training from me. To sign up for my email newsletter, just go to MrProductivity.com. You know, you mentioned uh, comparing ourselves to others. Right now, I'm finally reading the book Blue Ocean Strategy. The subtitle is How to Create Uncontested Market Space and Make the Competition Irrelevant. Um, you're not going to succeed in life if you spend all your time comparing yourself to others. You're going to succeed in this life by doing. And I think we need to, as hard as it is, because you have Facebook and Instagram and all these other social media sites, we're like, oh, I'm not as good as them. Uh, okay, first of all, you don't know what their bank balance is. And this is something I've always struggled with because... I'm not as bad as I used to be. I look at people, how many followers they have, how many connections they have, how many likes and views and all this other stuff. But you know what? They can have the most views on their video, but don't know how they're going to pay their mortgage that month. So you got to be careful when you look at the metrics. Okay. For example, one thing I never talk about ever, except for my wife and I, is how many downloads I get for the podcast because it doesn't matter. You know, any, you know any podcast episodes I have on my iPhone I've never listened to? It doesn't matter. What I care about is change lives. So if one person listens to our conversation today and they and we change the trajectory of their life and maybe their family, that's a win. We can't measure that unless they reach out to us and tell us. So if we do change your life, please reach out and tell us because we'd like to know. Um, so yeah, comparing is a waste of time. I mean, you can certainly learn from other people, but don't waste your time comparing yourself because it's going to drive you crazy. Completely, completely, completely true. And, you know, it's so funny because what I say when, especially um, when I'm talking to other people, if I can change one person's mind, if I can have one person see themselves differently or see the world differently or see our family differently, then I've done my job. And all of the things that I'm, you know, putting out there for the world to hear and to see, it's all worth it if I can help one person. So I am totally on board with that comment. Excellent. Well, we have arrived at the point in the show where we actually change roles. This is called Mic Swap. I got an idea for one of my uh, podcast guests. And what this means is you, Simone, will be the temporary host of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. Now, you don't have to say the name Stuchowski, so don't sweat that. Uh, don't ask me anything about my credit card numbers or social security number, but you can ask me any other question. Uh, I, of course, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a feel. I'm free to say, now I've read and I answer that, but that's not happened yet. So it's, it's your show to ask me one or two questions. Go. So one of the coolest things that I've done, um, and we didn't talk about this, so that's why I'm bringing it up, is that um, I climbed Kilimanjaro. I can't say originally it was a bucket list item, but it, it became a bucket list item once I decided this was what I was going to do. Tell me one or two of your bucket list items and when you think you can get to them, when you think you can accomplish them? Well, well, one of them I won't be able to accomplish until I die because I started running every day on August 29th, 2017. And I made a commitment that I run every day, at least one mile until the day I die. So I won't know I've accomplished that until I die. That's one thing. The other thing is just happened recently is I've always wanted to be a writer. I am amazed at people like you who write books and I've always wanted to be a writer. And I always had that self-doubt going through my head. Yeah, I'm a writer. Shall I be a writer? This is a waste of my time. Blah, blah. Comparing. Am I good as them? And I did self-publish a couple books many years ago. They're on Amazon. You know, I don't sell any of them, but they're still there. Um, but I made a commitment about, was it last Friday? I think it was, um, and because today's January 26th, 
And I said, you know what? I believe in social accountability. So I'm going to write, become a writer. And then I thought, how can I, to use the McDonald's terminology, how can I supersize this? So I said, I'm going to write an article on Medium every single day in 2021. Now, I didn't start until like, you know, 22 22 days into the year, but I'm writing an article every day. That's going to really force me to focus because I got to write an article every day. The more I do it, the better I get. Theoretically, I should get better at it. So my goal for 2021 is a new article, new episode for the podcast every day, which is a big undertaking, unless you have a team like Gary Vaynerchuk. And to write an article, I think I started January 23rd every day for the rest of the 2021. Those are pretty big goals because, as you know, you wrote a book. You just don't write. You know, you got to be in the right space and have something to say. So those are two things that are on my bucket list. And then post-COVID, when there's annoying COVID leaves, uh, I want to start traveling because one of the goals I actually admitted in my podcast about a week ago is I want to run at least one mile in every state in the United States and then take it international. Honestly, I am, first of all, I'm, I'm in awe. Okay. The two, you know, the running piece is amazing um, to do a mile a day. I love the idea of going to, you know, all 50 states. I think it's amazing. The writing is beyond because that is like, it's so much time and and so much commitment. So my follow-up question is, how do you get it all done? I mean, you asked me how I get it done with six kids. How do you get this all done? A podcast, a mile and, um, and, and life and writing an article every day. I mean, that's, that's impressive. The key for me is to remember, you probably seen the movie frozen, right? The big song, let it go. When I, <laughs> When I finally, of course you have kids, of course you've seen the movie yeah, probably a billion yeah. times. I could uh, sing it to you. So yeah, I won't, I won't. Yeah. Uh, is to let it go because my wife was furloughed from the travel industry in March of 2020 and about October we decided, Hey, why don't you come help me with the business? Cause I would do the podcast and then I'd have to do everything behind the scenes. Well, I'm the content creator and she's got her strengths. So once I let it go, I would create the podcast and then she takes this podcast and she makes it all ready for the internet. And so it comes out on January 27th. Um, but for me is letting it go so I can write my articles because I know that my wife's going to handle the other stuff that I used to do. And the number one thing I tell people is like, what do you have to let go? Okay. Like Gary Vaynerchuk, prime example. Okay. He creates all this content and his team makes podcasts and they make posts and infographics. They do all that for him. Okay. He lets it go. He's the content creator. So for me on my schedule and I'm a planner, there is time marked out for writing. There's time for podcast interviews. There's time for coaching clients. There's time to be on social media. And so they're all allocated throughout the day. So I don't go through the day like, oh my gosh, when am I going to do this? It's on my schedule. But I found I resisted for so long letting someone else help me. And no one is going to care more about my business than my wife and me. Nobody, no VA, nobody's going to, no employee is going to care more. And so that's how I did it. I, because of blessing, my wife got, you know, uh, furloughed. She now helps me in the business, which allows me to focus on what I really need to do. And that's creating content. Yeah. Which again, it's so. It's amazing, but it's also so true. I think we all that that's something that we all struggle with of of letting it go. And um, and I do when I was writing, um, 
the book, I really did schedule out time in my day. I, I took it like it was a full-time job and scheduled the hours. Of course, certain times things came up, but in general, I kept to that schedule and I gave myself a deadline saying, whatever you're done with at this point, it's done. Like you cannot go back and revise it 50 million times because you'd never put it out there. So you kind of have to believe in yourself and, and follow through on that. Um, but I think that's such good advice. And I'm just, um, I'm just in awe of, I don't know, maybe I should try to do a mile a day too, but I don't know if I'd be able to, I don't know. I, I like it. I like the idea, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm going to find something else to add to the schedule because you inspired me. So thank you. Well, I will give you a little secret. Okay. You like secrets? I love secrets. Okay, listener, I'm don't listen. Them. Okay, listener, don't, don't listen to what we're going to say. Okay. Uh, tomorrow, an article is going to come out on Medium. So if you follow me, follow me on Medium, Mark Stucheski. It's why, why I run every day since August 29th, 2017. So if you want to check that out, I, I'd really appreciate it. But, you know, I started running and I hit day one. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Then day five and then day 20 and then day 100 and day 500, day 1000. And now I'm like, I can't imagine not running. I have run in the heat and the cold because it does get cold here in Houston occasionally. In the rain, I've run in the, in the 100 degree heat. No excuses. I've had physical pain, knee pain, leg pain, back pain. I run every day. Now, I'm not trying to impress anyone. Okay. I'm not training for a marathon. I get that all the time. Why don't you run a marathon? Because when you train for a marathon, you have to have off days. And I'm not taking the day off because I start over at one. So I have a standing goal to run a thousand miles every year. Okay. Typically by the end of November, I've hit my goal, which means until the beginning of the new year, I can run one mile or I can run two or I can run three. And what I usually do is run mile one mile for like 30 days in a row. So then my body can recover and I don't run fast. I'm 55 years young, but I'm not trying to impress anyone, but I just love it so much. It's a part of my day. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm adding something. <laughs> You're adding something. It's good. I'm going to add, no, I'm going to add something to my, my, you know, something that I do every day that I commit to that, you know, whether it's walking, it's not going to be running a mile cause I got a bad knee, but walking a mile or taking 15 minutes for something that I really want to do and that I want to accomplish. I think it's really important. I think it's such a great goal. It's not unattainable. That's the other thing, right? Like you, you know, it's a certain piece of your day. It's not a huge, you know, you're not talking hours a day. And, um, I love that. I think it's fantastic. Well, I'll give you one piece of advice that really helped me is when I decided to be a writer, I created a video on Snapchat and put it on TikTok and says, I am going to be a writer. See, if you keep it in your head, you can like dismiss it. But once you tell people that you're going to do something, for example, one of my best clients um, said, not only are you a writer, you're going to write a book and I already had the outline for you. She is so adamant about me writing a book. So she's going to hold me accountable. So I hold her accountable. She holds me accountable that I'm going to, apparently I'm going to write a book sometime in the near future, <laughs> apparently. Um, but I'm having, I'm having fun. And I, you know, you mentioned this a couple of times during the show, look at you get one life, enjoy it. Don't be miserable. Stop watching the news. You know, at the end of every day, no matter what you do say, look at, Maybe today was a good day. Maybe it was a bad day, but I had a good time today. Even if you didn't tell yourself that, and it's going to make the world a difference. So, um, Simone, I, I am so thankful you're on the show today. I want people to go find out more about you and what you do. So where would they go? So I'm the only Simone Canego in the world. Um, so if you search me, you'll find me, but I have a website, simonecanego.com. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram 
author Simone Canego. And you can find um, my book, The Extraordinary Unordinary You, on Amazon and other online retailers like Barnes and Noble. Um, and I'd love to hear from you. Like, go on my website and and reach out because obviously I love to talk, and you know I I would love to hear feedback and see how I can again if I can help one person I'm doing my job and that's really what I want to do. So because your name is not so easy to spell, I mean for you and I it is because you know we were born with our name. Um, spell your first and last name so people can go to your right website. Okay, it's S I M O N E, and the last name is K N. E-G-O. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show today. This was a lot of fun. I learned a lot, and I know we inspired a lot of people, but uh, folks, don't just go on the next podcast. Please reach out to us. Tell us what you're doing, because we really care. So, Simone, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Hey, 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 don't leave this episode yet. I have a very important announcement for you. I want you to go to mrproductivity.com right now and get the top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs absolutely for free. It's my gift to you. And while you're at mrproductivity.com, I want you to click on the tab that talks about my digital productivity coaching program. I call it DPC. This program is incredible and I'm super excited about it because one, via a dedicated app, you get daily, yes, daily coaching and accountability prompts from me and the ability to ask me questions, short questions in the app. You get a live group coaching call every single, well, month with me. Third, you get access to a DPC members only community online, and it's not a Facebook group. And fourth, you get replays of all the group coaching calls and my Saturday morning trainings. Now, my Saturday morning trainings are free, but there's no replay. But DPC members get access to the training, to the replays, part of their membership. Now, what's this cost you? You may think thousands of dollars. No, it's $49 a month. That's less than $2 a day. So check out the digital productivity coaching program and grab the top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs at my website, mrproductivity.com.